And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show. It is, of course, Thursday, which means Michael Lee, which joining me this morning. We've got a lot to go into, of course. The Federal Reserve out yesterday with their minutes from the last meeting, and that was prior to the, well, rather disappointing employment report. So what were they talking about? Are they talking about tapering, right? That's really what everybody wants to know is when is the Fed going to let off the pedal of easy money and accommodation for the markets? And of course, one of the interesting comments we'll get into this this morning was is that they are concerned that after such a long period of accommodative policy, they might have actually created some financial risk in markets. You think? <laughs> So we'll get into that this morning. We got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. Of course, uh, really, as we get ready to wrap up the week, you know, as as we head in the last few trading days. Of course, today is the second best day of the week. Tomorrow is Friday, of course. And as we get ready to wrap up the week, markets have really just kind of struggled uh, pretty much all week long to not go much of anywhere. And this has really pretty much been the case now for the S&P, at least, you know, kind of going back over the last month, as we were talking about yesterday. Now, here's the question, though, is, is you know, a lot of concern here is, is, you know, is the market setting up for a bigger decline or are we getting ready to maybe make a little bit of advance in the markets? And generally, after a long period of consolidation, uh, markets tend to kind of allow things to catch up. The 50-day moving average is kind of caught up where prices are now, solve that gap to the downside that existed previously. So that's improved in terms of providing the market some more near-term support. And, and the other side of this is to flip this upside down and take a look at the S&P short position. So, you know, if you take a look at an index as an example like SH, which is an ETF that is actually the inverse of the S&P, obviously, exactly the opposite but this index on its money flow indicator very overbought now very close to triggering a sell signal which would mean that markets going up sh you know being short the index not really being ideal so you know this is just kind of that you know issue of the market is is there's a lot of concern right now is there more downside risk than there is upside potential and after this consolidation that we've had here over the last you know, few weeks is that money flow signals, again, uh, money flows remain positive. In fact, yesterday, money flows actually picked up nicely, even though the fact that the money flow sell signal is still in place hasn't quite crossed up on the S&P yet. We did hold that 50-day that moving average again yesterday. So we've now tested that support twice here in just the last week or so, and markets continue to hold that level. So that's encouraging, right? That's encouraging. We've been, we've been kind of wringing out a lot of these stocks, a lot of the overbought conditions that existed previously have now kind of worked themselves out. A good example of that was uh, semiconductors, which have remained under a lot of pressure here over the last um, you know, few weeks in particular. There's been a lot of selling pressure in semiconductors in particular, along with this idea about the chip shortage and the ability to deliver chips. And what we've seen there is that money flows had gone negative. We've now triggered a money flow buy signal. Money flows have now turned positive, And we've seen some positive action here over the last few days in a lot of the semiconductor stocks. So again, money kind of 
finding its way back into some of these areas that have been really, really beaten down. And that really kind of goes back to our previous conversation that we kind of expect to see here as we kind of get further into the summer, a more deflationary trend in some of the economic data. The employment numbers that we saw recently, very disappointing, 269,000. It was kind of that first hint that we may have seen kind of some of the peak of the economic activity in the economy. And if you take a look at what's happening, all these excess savings that we've had coming in from you know all these stimulus checks, et cetera, that's about to start to roll off. And we're by the end of this year, we're gonna to start to see savings rates back down to their normal trend, which is, fairly low and that takes a lot of that liquidity back out of the market that's a deflationary pressure which tends to benefit in a lot of cases um, the the nasdaq over the s p and we've talked about this here recently is that the nasdaq has now actually triggered a money flow buy signal it's actually its activity holding support here at, re at recent bottoms it is still trading below the 50-day moving average so that is a bit of a negative in the short term but we could well see that kind of turn here a bit if we start to see money flow kind of back into some of the more the deflationary sectors if we begin to see a concern over a couple things that is going to be one potentially this idea of tapering from the fed and this i and of course start to see more disappointment in some of the economic data which is extremely exuberant both the or the earnings data is extremely exuberant going forward here over the next 12 to 24 months the economic data is very exuberant so if we begin to see some disappointment in those numbers we could see money flowing back into the companies that have the ability to both kind of withstand slower economic environments, have ability to generate earnings in slower economic environments, you know, the Apples, the Googles, uh, the Amazons. And that is also going to be, these stocks are also very highly liquid. So for major fund managers, et cetera, it's easy stocks to get into, easy stocks to get out of. And again, just the technical setup is starting to look a little bit better in some of these areas. Now, I'm not saying go pile all your money in these areas, but all I'm saying is that there is some encouraging signs here. And again, there's a lot of concern here that the markets are about to sell off. Could that happen? Absolutely. Markets can do things you never count on. Um, but typically, when you know our signals kind of get this oversold, we typically either see a consolidation, as we've talked about before, we see a consolidation, which is what we've seen in the S&P, and really has been in the case in the NASDAQ now for several months. Uh, the NASDAQ really has not gone much of anywhere um, during this time frame. It's been a lot of choppy trading up and down, but not really making a lot of progress. Same thing for the S&P. So again, when you kind of see these situations, it doesn't mean you have to have a big correction. You could just not go anywhere uh, for a period of time, but is a bigger correction potentially in, in the markets? Yeah, when? Have no idea. The best indication of that is gonna be when we start to get more and more signals from the Federal Reserve that they are thinking about tapering, or we start to see interest rates moving up sharply. And that's been one of the real interesting points about the entire market is that interest rates as a function continue to suggest that really the economy is much weaker than what a lot of the headline numbers say. Now, I know that we're gonna get some big headline numbers on the economy because of just year over year comparisons. But what interest rates are telling you is, is that the economy is gonna slow back down to somewhere sub 2% by the time we get into the next year. That has a lot of implications on both forward earnings for companies, 
as well as on economic growth. So as things, as the stimulus kind of leaves the system, uh, which is what we're going to start seeing here, we've got now got 13 states, including Texas, now removing the extended unemployment benefits. That's going to extract liquidity from the markets. We've got a lot of these programs that were put into place. Those will end around September, October. So a lot of people are going to have to go back to work. Unfortunately, a lot of these people are going to find out that jobs have now been replaced by automation particularly in the lower wage scale places, because companies are now used to very big net margins. One of the big side effects of the shutdown was that company net margins expanded. We have a record level of growth in corporate net margins over the last year. Not surprising when you lay off, you know, about a third of your workforce, right? Profitability becomes really big. Companies like that net margin, they're gonna to try to protect that. And they're gonna do that by either hiring back slowly, which is gonna impact economic growth, or they're gonna do it by replacing jobs with automation, which is a long-term investment that is beneficial to net margins over time. So just some things to think about here, but we're gonna come back, pick up with Michael Leibowitz. He is uh, currently doing push-ups, getting ready for the show, all fired up this morning. So <laughs> be right back. Real Investment Show, I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. South of the river, you stop and you hold everything. And then it's blowing Dixie, double four times. You feel alright when you hear that music ring. Well, now you step inside, but you don't see too many faces. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, plus a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee, the best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve, and Lance's mid-year investment review on Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at Real Investment investmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show Morning, Michael Leibowitz joining me as well as we get into this uh, post-Fed minutes kind of Thursday, and uh, it was actually interesting. The uh, normally the announcement of Fed minutes are pretty boring and nothing ever changes too much, but actually there was some uh, some things in the uh, recent commentary by the Fed that were actually you know worth talking about for a change <laughs> because they right. actually potentially started talking about hey you know if the employ if uh, the economy continues to recover at the current right now unfortunately this was these minutes were put together prior to the uh, last unemployment report which was quite disappointing so their views may have changed here a bit but yes yes and no lance yeah um but they did talk about potentially have to start talking about they're gonna have to start talking about potentially talking about potentially tapering if the economy keeps recovering, right? Right. So so we've come to learn over the years that the Fed has their meeting. It's on a Tuesday, Wednesday. They had one three weeks ago. And they released their Fed statement. And that's the statement that rarely changes. You know, mm -hmm. as we like to say, they change a few adjectives and verbs. But it, it you know, that's where the grammar matters. But 
it really doesn't change. Then three weeks after that, between the Fed meetings, they released the quote unquote minutes. Now, those minutes tend to change from what was actually said to reflect the latest views. Mm-hmm. So they're not actually minutes like the way we think of minutes. Right. And, and like you said, there was a hodgepodge of views from we're not doing anything in our lifetimes to <laughs> we need to taper pretty quickly. Um, and I think that's done on purpose. Right. And I think, you know, in general, we've been watching these Fed speakers talk and you get the same sense that some want to taper and some don't. And what they're really doing is getting the market ready. They're gearing it up. They're, they're, they don't want to just say, we're not going to taper, we're not going to taper, we're not going to taper. We're tapering tomorrow, <laughs> right. right? So they're trying to gently ease the market into this tapering idea. And I, I think the next step is details, right? Mm-hmm. So, so maybe a month from now we'll hear, we'll, we're just thinking about trimming a little bit of mortgage purchases, right? Maybe we'll trim it by 10 billion, maybe not, we'll see. And that's how they kind of get markets to gear up for this because, and this is important, markets are supported by the liquidity that comes from QE. So we're at elevated levels, and it's not just stocks, it's mortgages, it's bonds, it's, it's almost every asset class sits at elevated levels because of, not, not necessarily directly, although in some cases directly, but indirectly. Well, you know, because of everything the Fed's done. Right. And it was interesting, though, that one of the comments that were in the minutes was that there was some some concern voice that, you know, these prolonged periods of accommodative monetary policy might be leading to some financial risk in the markets. And uh, this is kind of one of those no kidding moments uh, that, you know, kind of come along. But, you know, it's 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 interesting because. Whether or not you agree, and, and look, there's plenty of arguments on both sides. Neil Kashkari says QE doesn't have anything to do with the stock market. It doesn't matter whether there's a direct translation, and there's arguments for this, that there is a direct translation of monetary policy into financial market assets, or whether it's just psychological, that people think that that's what's happening, so they run up asset prices because they think the Fed's standing there buying equities. You know, um, it doesn't matter how it happens. The the translation is working, and that's created a enormous stretch of a market ba- from fundamentals and from underlying economic drivers um, because of all this cue they've been doing. So yeah, there's a huge amount of financial risk, and the big concern here is, and, and the Fed's now gotten themselves into this trap, really beginning with uh, Ben Bernanke back in 2010. If they allow the financial markets to revert and, and to correct back to fair valuations, which would allow price discovery to work in the markets, that also destroys economic confidence and you throw yourself into a recession and you undo all the work you've been doing. So the Fed's really trapped at having to keep markets elevated. They, they can't allow the markets to actually function on their own now. Right. And, and, you know, I think the way to think about this is all assets have a value that's both organic and driven by narrative. Sometimes when assets are really cheap, it's purely organic. You can think about houses like that. Mm-hmm. The price of a house is based, you know, on what someone on what people, how much they make and how much they can afford for a house. But then there's this whole other aspect to house prices, right? Why are house prices up 20%, 30% in some areas? It's not because the people in those areas are making more money. It's because psychological you know, reasons why they feel the need to buy, why they want to chase. 
Uh, it also helps what the Fed did, but that's I would say that's somewhat organic, although supported by something that's not sustainable. So all assets have this level of psychological support. And at times that level is small, but at times it's very large. And I think that's what we have now. And that's again, it's this Fed trap that we we constantly talk about that if they say, OK, we're getting rid of some liquidity, there's problems in the markets. And we look, Lance, we may be seeing that now in some of the riskiest assets, right? It, Tesla, Bitcoin, some of the high flyers from earlier this year that had just tremendous gains have seen you know, liquidity coming out of those coming out. And I mean, what was Bitcoin down yesterday? 30%, 40% in the morning it came back. Right. But it's just some of these moves are crazy. And Bitcoin's one thing, but that same liquidity is flowing into the stock market and the bond markets. And the effects, while well, we're never going to see a 30, 40% intraday moves in either of those, you know, one or 2% causes a lot of pain. As we've, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, even just the recent downslide we've had, which isn't much, a lot of people are like, you know, they're, they're crazy about what's going on and scared. And it's, there's right now, there's nothing to be scared about, but it just shows you the effect the Fed has and taper in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting too. The response yesterday to the Fed's announcement or these minutes yesterday was a very strong rally in the dollar. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, these other markets, uh, whether it's interest rates, whether it's the dollar, whether it's, you know, these other components that, you know, there's definitely this translation of expectations coming out of these, you know, minutes that the market's reacting on. And maybe, you know, maybe now is the time to go buy a crypto because now they have everybody on CNBC this morning talking about is crypto, is the crypto craze over? That's generally the time you want to buy stuff. <laughs> so, right. so maybe so, it's, so maybe it's sidebar, time. Can we sidebar on crypto for a second? Sure. So a couple interesting things. Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool. Barstool Sports, and, yeah. And I think he owns one of the big DraftKings or one of them, or uh, he's a pin, big shareholder of yeah, it. Pin Gaming, Pin National. So he figured out this whole scam. You don't get on an existing well-known crypto. You promote a new crypto that no one's heard of. You start at the ground floor of a Ponzi scheme. You buy it, then you go out, and he's got great media presence, so he can go and buy, and then say, I'm buying XYZ crypto coin. You need to buy it. This thing's going to the moon. I have diamond hands. Right. You got rocket ships all over every tweet you put out, right? <laughs> right. And you're on the ground floor, right? So so that's one thing it's called, that tells it's called, us. It's called multi-level marketing. This has been going on for years. <laughs> it's called something the SEC should be doing something about and doesn't, right? Right. Uh, the other thing that caught my attention yesterday was Rao Pal from Real Vision, who I have a lot of respect for. I think he has a really good feel for macroeconomics and markets, but he has definitely turned his attention to crypto. Right. That's all he talks about at this point. Right. And he well, put out put, a video. Uh, to be clear, he's put like 90% of his net worth into crypto. Yeah. And so, look, he, I mean, he's he all in. Fine. I, I, and look, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just... He put out a video while he was driving to the office yesterday, an emergency video when crypto was down significantly. <laughs> about, about wait, 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 stop. You have to you have to build context. If you're going to tell stories, you have to build context. Rao Powell lives in the Cayman Islands. So when he's driving to work, it's all of about a three minute drive to work along the there. beach uh, to his office, which is basically his house that is on the beach. And he works in a T-shirt all day. 
anyway, so, you know, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and when he's on the Lance Roberts show, it's a dirty T-shirt. <laughs> exactly. You didn't even put on so, a clean shirt for me. <laughs> so he's driving, right? Whether it's the two-minute drive to work or whether he's going to 7-Eleven, get coffee, whatever he's doing. This emergency message can't wait till he gets to his home, his office, his studio, wherever he does his broadcast. Right. Even though all we hear from all these Bitcoin big proponents is Bitcoin's going to half a million to a million to two million. Right. If that's the case, why can't you wait three minutes and, you know, <laughs> do a proper message and tell them like that's what that's what really I don't own any crypto, but that's what would scare me is yeah. the, the way it's marketed and the way that these people with great media presence get behind it. And it's like, you got to buy now, got to buy now. It's so cheap. But if it's going to half a million, does it really matter whether you buy it 40 or 30 or 50? Right. No, I mean, it, it's, it, but I, I tell you, it's like when it, the media is, is so, and it, look, this is, this is, and, and we're talking about crypto now, but really this is about all assets, right? For investors. And, right. you know, it's the markets go up, you know, every day. And it's like, oh, the market's up today. It's great. Boy, you're missing out if you're not in. And then the market goes down one day and the whole markets, the whole media is like, oh, my God, the market crashed today. Well, we're down one percent. Right. <laughs> the market's up 11 for the year. We're down one percent for the day. Um, but, you know, that's the problem that really gets to investors and ultimately leads to making, you know, larger investment mistakes is because the media chases them in and out of stuff because it's always a different message every day. Just whatever gets headlines, of course. But that's the hard part about investing. You just got to kind of turn out, you know, tune out the noise. And if you're a, and if you're a true advocate of Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever you whatever you own and you think that this is going to be a replacement for fiat currency, that's that's your thesis then you need to stick with it and and let right. your thesis play out but importantly um we can talk about this when we come back as well you also have to know when your thesis is wrong and that's the big challenge for a lot of investors we'll be right back after the break with michael Leibowitz. be right back You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, plus a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee, the best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve, and Lance's mid-year investment review on Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Week in 
three months. NASDAQ down 4.6% for the month. Worse since 2012 of a five-week losing streak for the NASDAQ. S&P down 1.6 for May. Worse since October. Those are the headlines on CNBC right now. Now, if you listen to those things, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of stocks. This is crazy. The whole world's falling apart, right? Market's up over 10% for the year so far, right? So a little bit of correction here, not surprising. And we've been talking about this for the last month. We got our sell signal about a month ago. We said, hey, look, two things are going to happen. Either we're going to have a correction or the markets aren't just going to go anywhere. And we said on, you know, in our newsletter, we said, most likely we're going to kind of consolidate here. Um, because the money flows in the market were still positive. So people were still putting more money in the markets than they were taking out, but they, the, the selling and buying was a little bit equal. So it kept prices pretty much range-bound, which has been the case now for over a month. But if you listen to headlines, you know, you're prompted you know, to, to sell and to, and to make those decisions. And you know, this is one of the, the harder challenges of investing. And this is why the only time I have CNBC on is during the show just so I can get headlines like that, <laughs> right? Um, outside of this, I don't have CNBC on during the trading day at all. Um, we pay attention to our charts. We pay attention to our fundamentals. We pay attention to our portfolios, those type of things. And we make decisions based on on that data um, rather than headlines. And so this is a, uh, important. This is one of the mistakes that a lot of investors make is by allowing short-term media-driven headline news, which remember the reason the media throws this stuff up there is because it gets views, right? So if, if there's an old saying in news, if it bleeds, it leads, right? So you put that stuff up first, you know, five people killed in a car crash, news at 11, right? That's the first thing you're going to tune into. People love that stuff. So that's what the media does, but that will make you make, well, that will lead you to make rather, I should say, worse investment decisions for your portfolio over time. And, yeah. and, this, and this is the thing that, that is going on currently. Investors are having a hard time with it. Yep. And I think the hardest part from the, the most successful investor to the novice is gut versus model. Right. Your models and models can be technical, fundamental or both valuation based, whatever your models, you know, some of them are lunar cycles. I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of models. Right. And it doesn't mean any but, of them are wrong either. If it, right. if, it, if it works, it works, right? So right, right, right. Whatever it is, right? So there's there's listening to what your model says, and then there's listening to what your gut says, and that's the hardest part is separating the two out. And depending on how much you trust your models, the more you trust them, the more you have to ignore your gut, mm -hmm. and the less you trust your models, the more you have to go with your gut. But either way, there's gut involved, and the psychological. Uh, dilemma that that we all face stanley druckenmiller faces it right the, the best of the best face the same problem and we have to get over it and that's why i think that's why we spend so much time on our models right we 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 want to know what valuations are like what does that portend for a longer term outlook but then we all have we have our technical models a lot of commonly used models and some proprietary models that we've created to help us understand what's going to happen over the next few weeks. What's the bias? What are the risks? What's the reward? Is the risk reward something that we're comfortable with? Should we reduce exposure? Should we add exposure? If we listen to our model, where's where's a level that, that we should be concerned the model's wrong? Because there's no such thing as a perfect model, right. right? We know our models are flawed. We know everyone's models are flawed. Right. If we had the crystal ball, we wouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> We'd be with Rao in the Grand Cayman Islands. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
and wearing clean T-shirts. Right. Um, so, so, so the important thing is to try to, depending on your models, again, ignore your gut, ignore what you hear in the media, and and just go with the facts and go with go with what your what your calculations, what your valuations are telling you, and where you feel comfortable. Because the more uncomfortable you are, being long or short, the more you're going to get persuaded by by other people. Right. And that, and that's and this is an important part. But the, and as we were talking about a second ago before we you know came into this segment, you know, there's also the point in time that you know, look, a, a lot of your investing, your models um, that you, you know, if you if you build your own models or if you build your own fundamental thesis, whatever it is, you know, you have a thesis. Right. So people let, let's use uh, and let's go back to Bitcoin, for an example, because it's just kind of a great near term example of, you know, lots of volatility over the last couple of days. Um, and in the statement you made earlier, if you believe if your thesis is that Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it's going to be, is going to replace the U.S. dollar as a fiat currency, and that's the true store of value, and that's better than gold, um, then, and you've got the fundamental, you know, analysis to back that thesis up, right? So you've done your research. This is what you believe. Now it's not just something you heard on television, right, or you read on Twitter. You've actually done the work, and you've created your thesis then you don't worry about volatility. In fact, yesterday, if you, if you believe that Bitcoin's going to $100,000 uh, a coin, then you should have been buying yesterday, um, as an example, because that was on sale yesterday by 30%, you know, in, in, the, in the heat of the drawdown. So that's your thesis. But you also have to understand that the environments change, economics change, fundamentals change, technicals change. So at what point, and this is this is the hard part, is you know when you get involved with your thesis, you tend to start getting what's called confirmation bias. And that's the psychological issue of where you then only, you, you're so convinced that your thesis is right, you will only listen to information that confirms your thesis. And anything that doesn't confirm your thesis, you immediately rebut, you throw out, you you discount, you, you know, <laughs> you go attack the person that says it, say mean tweets to them. Um, but the point is, is that you have to be open to those counter arguments so that you can determine when and if your thesis is wrong. And we, we see this a lot. And it's not just in, in markets. It's in the economy. It's in nature. I mean, we have a lot of beliefs about the universe that over the years, you know, we thought the world was flat at one point. That was a thesis. We now know that's not the case. Well, there's still people that think that. But, um, <laughs> Shaq. Um, but, you know, we have to be open to understanding our thesis can be wrong and then changing our investment strategy if we now have confirmation our thesis has changed. Right. And you also have to update your thesis, right? Some people that bought Tesla 10 years ago had a nice thesis that Tesla will compete with the other car makers. They got paid handsomely for that. The problem is Tesla now is priced as, it, as if it will be the only car maker or, you know, have a, a big share of the market. So you have to understand where you are in that cycle and not get caught up in a stock that's running to the moon. And... You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I think one of the, the themes of our recent articles and our discussions is confidence and modeling. And it, it's a lot more psycho. You know, it's it's more psychological now mm -hmm. than I think it has been, because like Tesla, the market is priced at a pretty extreme level where you where you almost need perfection. 
not just perfection out of the companies, but you need the government to continue doing what it's doing. You need the Fed to do what it's doing to justify prices at these levels. So you have to understand that if you were bullish on stocks when they were down in the low 2000s in March, mm -hmm. that maybe your thesis played out perfectly and you have to drop that thesis. You know, it's great. You made a lot of money, mm -hmm. but that thesis needs a new thesis. And maybe that thesis is that prices are fairly are fairly valued right now and stocks are basically going nowhere for 10 years mm -hmm. or they're going to go up two, three percent with economic growth. You know, so so the key is to have, like you said, Lance, a very flexible thesis to be willing to take uh, criticism, to understand criticism, to digest it and to factor it into your your way of thinking. Uh, one thing that I find that I stopped doing, I've learned my lesson, although I did it last night again, is tweeting on Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, that, that you'll learn that and, lesson real quick. And I know the lesson, but I did it anyway. I made some comment that said my dollars in Bitcoin terms had a great day yesterday. Right. And I either get the guys that, that you know, the people that like me and I get a bunch of hearts and like <laughs> thumbs up and emojis. Or I get the guys that call me an idiot and a moron. And, and it just shows you how right. people are bought into that thesis and they can't take it wasn't even criticism it was just a joke right um well i know that's that's the problem with twitter and, and nobody's got a sense of humor anymore uh, so right. you know this is every you know everything's antagonistic one way or the other but you know it, it brings up a good point i actually made this comment the other day um you know on on the show we were talking about the importance of u.s you know u.s dollar dominance right u.s reserves and and the U.S. dollar being a reserve currency, and you know one of the things that is required for a reserve currency to be the reserve currency is it's got to have a depth of market. You got to be able to handle worldwide transactions, but it can't be swinging around thirty percent a day, right? right. Um, people depend on that stability for making transaction. You know, if I if I sold you goods yesterday, and then I found out today that what I sold you is now worth thirty percent less. As a producer of that goods, I'm in trouble because now I'm getting 30% less for it and, and just wiped out on my profit margin. Now I'm taking a loss. So that can't happen. And so right. until, I mean, let, go, go ahead. Look at, look at the price of Bitcoin right now. It's in the 40s or whatever, right? That's, That's the price of a car. If you accepted Bitcoin for a car, within two minutes, you may have lost your entire profit margin. That's right. You know, which is, it's, you know, a thousand bucks. It's not that much on cars. Mm -hmm. It's not acceptable as a currency. Not yet. And again, this is, and this is the argument, right? This is the thesis is that eventually it'll become the currency. But one of the things that it's going to have to develop is stability. And that means you can't use it as a speculative investment anymore because it won't be going up and down, you know, 10 or 20% a day, right? I mean, even even today, uh, right now, Bitcoin is up 4.5% this morning uh, at 40,700. A 4% move is even too much for producers and manufacturers to be dealing with in terms of a transactional-based currency. Be right back after the break. Look at you, now look at me. Look at you, now look at me. Now, look at you, now look at me. 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 Look at you, now look at
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Plus, a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid-year investment review on candid coffee. Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Early morning here as uh, we aren't even... You know, just getting around to getting breakfast, but uh, we have viewers sitting in Germany right now having lunch. So welcome to the show. We appreciate you watching. Um, so just for the break, um, you know, talking about, you know, this idea about psychology and investing in markets and, and, you know, the point that we're trying to make here. And again, it doesn't matter what your belief is. And again, as Mike was talking about, you know, yesterday, he's making fun of the fun of, you know, Bitcoin by saying, you know, USD dollars doesn't, you know, uh, devalue by 30 percent. Uh, just fair and full disclosure, I own both Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, and I bought a little bit more yesterday on the dip. And I, I have no, I have no, look, this is, this has nothing to do, this is all an experiment in psychology that I'm running in a live portfolio. So every time people freak out on television, I, I'm buying stuff. <laughs> so my print, I'm running this thesis through the end of the year and we're going to see how it works. But my go, but what I'm doing is, is in the morning, whatever they're freaking out about in the morning, that's what I go buy as soon as I get off the show. <laughs> so, so, so far I'm up about 40% in the portfolio. So it's working really well up to this point. So, uh We'll, we'll see. But, you know, this is just kind of one of those, uh, you know, kind of things that I like to play around with and, in, in, in and markets because it is all about psychology, ultimately. And look, I don't own it. I've never owned it, but it wouldn't stop me just because I have these longer term views about what happens with it. It wouldn't stop me from trading. Right. Uh, I'm not a sports gambler, but I bet on the Kentucky Derby a few weeks ago. You know, so which horse did the, you bet on? <laughs> what? Which horse did you bet on? Midnight Bourbon didn't uh, do so well. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't. You didn't bet uh, on the horse that was cheating. See, there's the problem. <laughs> right, I should have known. Yeah. Um. So you know, the the point is, look, we're we're buying and selling stuff all the time, and it's not always based on valuation. It's mm -hmm. based on other things, and it, and it's fine to trade Bitcoin. It's fine to trade Ethereum. All of those. I'm not discouraging anyone uh, you know i think the point is to just be careful because there's a lot more both pros and cons that i think a lot of people trading it don't understand right this is just like gamestop right right gamestop is somewhat easy to value we know what that value is and we know that that stock price was 10 times its value maybe even more at some point right doesn't mean it can't go to 40 times right and it's it's fun to trade those stocks but your losses, you know, if you're going to go and sit around and trade a, you know, a CVS or an IBM or a Microsoft, you know, maybe you can scalp a couple percent in a day if you're lucky, lose a couple percent if you're not lucky. 
these things, if you go to lunch and you come back an hour <laughs> later, you could be down or up five or ten percent. So well, you just got to be careful. Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. And look, and and this is the um, you know, this, and we talk about this on the show, like in the morning when I do the the morning commentary. You know, we talk about our money flow indicator. We talk about where we are in the markets. Um, you know, kind of what's happening. And those are all very short-term signals. These are signals that last three, four weeks. Um, and we talk, you know, we've been talking about, we've been on a money flow sell signal now for the last month. It's very oversold. That's a four-week signal, right? That's not an invest. You, you don't invest off that signal, right? You don't use that for investing long-term. That's your fundamentals. Um, we use these signals, these technical signals, as a function to control risk in portfolios. So when we get these sell signals, we know that, hey, you know what, probably over the next month or so, we're either going to have a correction or we're going to have at least a pickup in market volatility. So, you know, things that had a big run up, big gain, let's take a little profit off the table there. Let's shelter some of that gain that we get we got. Or, um, you know, hey, let's just reduce exposure for right now. We've, we've got too much exposure in portfolios. We've got too much exposure to risk. So we take some of that off, reduce that risk. And the same, same thing occurs. Um, over the last week, we've been slowly nibbling at buying the queues uh, because the, 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 the NASDAQ has gotten very oversold on the money flow basis. We're looking for a short-term trade, three or four weeks, that we may make some money or it just may outperform the S&P by not going down as much as the S&P, right? Uh, so there's two catalysts. And you say, well, if it's not going to go down as much as the S&P, why would you own it? Because we don't know which one it's going to be, right? We think that historically, this signal is now as oversold as it was back in March of 2020. Every time this our signals have gotten this oversold, we've had at least a mild rally out of the markets, one, two, three, four percent. So there's some potential here to add some what we call alpha, which is excess performance, to the portfolio um, opportunistically. But that's the trading portion of our portfolios. That doesn't have anything to do with our fundamental holdings of our portfolio that we don't have any intention of selling long term. All we're going to do is trade, you know, trim profits and and add, you know, opportunistically to those positions and build them over time. So it's important to understand your. Th and again, let's go back to our conversation. It's important to understand your thesis and understand your models, but also be open that things can change. And when they do change, you have to change with it. And it's also important, Lance, that you note that we have a level we would sell it at pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. So so we're not just saying, OK, we're going to buy it and we're just going to roll the dice and see what happens. We're like, here's what we expect. Here's what our models are telling us. This is what's happened the last 10 times the models have been at this level. You know, say seven or eight of those times, it's worked out really well. We know that even if it was 10 for 10, doesn't mean the 11th time will work out the way the prior 10 worked out. But we also know that at X and X level, and that's X, you know, X level, that's based on a number of factors, all technical, mm -hmm. that we bail. Right. We sell what we bought and we potentially even reduce exposure more. Right. So it's important to understand a potential upside, understand what's happened in the past, but understand that, and this is where valuations matter. We're skating on thin ice, right? This isn't the thickest ice we've ever seen by any stretch. <laughs> so we have to be careful. And if we think the weather is gonna warm up a little bit, we gotta reduce some weight, reduce our exposure. If we think we're in for a cold snap, we can add a little bit of weight, add exposure. But but we still know that that we are on thin ice, and that's what valuate. That's the value of of valuations right. of and, fundamental analysis. Right, and and this is just you know again just 
you know, you've got, and as, as, you know, if you're managing your own money, the whole point here is that it's just a function of understanding, you know, what you're doing and what I see too far off, what, what I see far too often, I'll spit that out this morning, is investors buy stuff. And here's, I'm going to give you a good example uh, of a stock in particular. I got an e- a me- email on this yesterday. Um, they buy stuff under a premise and then they think that, well, that's just, you just hold it forever, right? And I got an email yesterday talking about, well, Lance, you're talking about potentially some more volatility in markets. So should I just buy dividend stocks and hold them? And that's fine, but the, still the management process of owning a dividend yielding stock is the same as it is anything else. And a good example of this is AT&T. Um, if you go back to where it was in February of 2020, the stock lost half its value. And so you go, great, I can buy the stock 50% cheaper and I get a 7% yield now, right? And so the stock really since March of 2020 has not gone much of anywhere, but you've been sitting here collecting a 7% yield. Um, yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, they cut their dividend by half. So now you've lost half your money and now you lost half your dividend. So what was your thesis for owning the stock, right? And, and this happens all the time. Right. In March of 2020 and after, a lot of companies cut their dividends. So the point is, is that no matter what your thesis is, hey, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna buy dividend yielding stocks and hold them and just collect the dividend. That's great. That's fantastic until you lose half your money and lose your dividend. Now, what are you going to do? So well, well, every thesis has its point to where you have to change your model. All right. Here's another great one. Microsoft great company they're going to dominate in in software everyone's going to have outlook on their computer mm-hmm. right this is what people were saying in 99 2000 it turned out to be they true. were right their <laughs> thesis was dead on right it fell in 2000 2001 mm-hmm. the stock the stock price didn't come back to where it was for another 15 16 years despite the fact that their earnings and revenue were growing at a great pace for those 15 16 years right. it was just a function of stock got so far ahead of what it was worth that it took that long and if you had that thesis that microsoft was going to rule the world and you were right 20 years later the problem was you could have been investing in been investing in cd's for those 15 years and been so far ahead of the game right it is look and, and and as with everything right timing is everything um right. you know amazon's the same case right I, I, you, you see you know you always see these articles and cnbc's terrible about this by the way they put these articles if you had invested you know a thousand dollars into x when it went public you would have made all this money very true statement um apple microsoft amazon very much the case but in the process of that you spent a long period of time not making any money a lot of those gains all happened really since 2010 and forward um and and so that's really kind of the issue you know timing is everything and, and investing in the markets is all about timing and you know if you invested in in the markets in 1960 you didn't make money again until 1982 so you know, you can spend very long periods in the markets not making any money. Invest, start investing in 2000, you didn't make any money till 2013. So very long periods in the markets where you can make no money. And, and now, unfortunately, we're now back to that level of the markets, fundamental-wise, uh, valuation-wise, et cetera, where the forward expectations return over the next 10 to 20 years is going to be close to zero to 2%. And right. and and tie, in other words, the timing of entering the markets today is really not in your favor. No. And look, there, we know there's going to be a one or two year period coming up 
could be start tomorrow, could start five years from now, that if you can avoid that one or two year period, you will be so far ahead of the game, even if you are the most conservative of investors. That's right. But we don't know whether it's starting at 10 o'clock today or 10 o'clock in 2027. <laughs> That's <laughs> But the all we do know, it's apparently at 10 o'clock. So, <laughs> so at 10 o'clock every day, check your monitor. <laughs> and other than that, you're good. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso uh, tomorrow for Financial Fitness Fridays. And don't forget on Saturday, go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the Candy Coffee link, get registered. I'm going to be joining both Danny and Richard to talk about our mid-year market update, where we are, what we expect to go from here, and kind of how we're do- and kind of how we're positioning for the last half of this year. That's this Saturday at 8 a.m. Join our, our candy coffee right there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and we'll see you tomorrow. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.